Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. This is class 23 of our structured study on jhana. Tonight's sutta comes from, the two suttas come from a book of poems by monks and nuns called the Taragata and the Terigata. So the first one I'm gonna read is from the Taragata called the Sumangala Sutta. I am completely free from three crooked things, sickles, shovels, and plows. Even if they were right here, I would still be free of them. Dujana, Samangala. Always mindful, Samangala. Dujana. The second poem from the Terigata is from Sumangala's mother. Freedom, freedom, I am completely free, free from my pestle, free from my shameless husband and his sunshade making. Her husband was a hat maker. He made straw hats. Um, free from my moldy old pot with its water snake smell. Passion, aversion, delusion, I cut with a single chop. I have come to the root of a tree and do jhana. What bliss. So common to, to poetry of any kind, and particularly the Taragata and the Taragata, and even in the Buddhist teachings, metaphor is a common um, uh, feature. So in both poems, these Dhamma elders refer to sickles, shovels, plows, pestles, and pots as representative tools of their bondage in samsara. So what's interesting to me and for all of us as practitioners, what are the tools of our own bondage? Or how do we use subtle strategies of resistance and crave, i.e. craving to remain ignorant? So, again, we're, we're, we're using those those tools, sickles, shovels, plows, pots, pestles, as a metaphor. So to remain ignorant or to remain, <clears throat> or to, well, not like, but to become free of that or become a, Yeah, and that. To, to me, ignorant means to stay kind of so in the darkness. Right? Those, in, the, in those poems, those tools, those items 
represented tools of bondage. Mm -hmm. So what are our tools of bondage? What are our own tools of bondage? What strategies do we use to remain ignorant? Keep us attached to the world. Yeah. Which is a question we should be asking ourselves. As practitioners, you know, that's that's part of this. So yeah, that's part of it. Um clean craving to what we want or yeah. 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 And where is it? Where exactly. Where do, we, where do we fulfill our desires? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. This was short, so I won't take too long. Uh, but that's it. That we're, we're, we're getting there. That's You guys are seeing that. So these subtle strategies are what we refer to as wrong view. So a wrong view of self has us organizing our lives to ensure that we get what we want and we never get what we don't want. This view that we always get what we want and we never get what we don't want is the tool of our bondage to samsara, to, to suffering, to dukkha, to stress. whether through lying, overindulgence in drugs, alcohol, or escapist entertainment, the outcome is dukkha, distress. So in the development of the Eightfold Path, we see through which means we employ these strategies these tools of our own bondage, speech, action, mindfulness, what we hold in mind. That's where, that's where these subtle strategies are, are emerge. That's where these tools of bondage are constantly employed. Our ability to gain insight into these strategies is developed by the wisdom factors in essence, through jhana meditation. So let's review the jhanas. First jhana. Friends, the ending of the defilements depends on the first jhana. Secluded from sensuality and other unskillful mental qualities, one enters and remains in the first jhana. The first jhana is experienced as rapture, born of that very seclusion. It is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. Second jhana. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the second jhana, which is the stilling of directed thought and evaluation. The second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure born of concentration free of directed thought and evaluation. The joy of concentration permeates their entire mind and body. Third jhana. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the third jhana, 
which is the fading of rapture. They remain equanimous, mindful, alert, sensitive to pleasure. With the fading of rapture, this pleasant abiding permeates their entire mind and body. Fourth jhana. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the fourth jhana, which is abandoning of evaluation. They enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is pure equanimity and mindful. Being pure and bright, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. They sit permeated in mind and body with pure bright awareness. The fourth jhana is a pleasant abiding. These poems demonstrate the quality of mind of those who practice jhana and develop right view through the practice of the Eightfold Path and awaken, as you hear in those. I'm free, completely free. This is Dhamma practice. It requires our persevering effort, our honesty, and our gentleness. So let's go to Zoom land. I don't know. We got it. We got people. Um, Sammy, how are you doing? Go into uh, the, the gallery view and we'll all be on the screen at once. Yeah. It should be on the top left hand corner. If not, forget it. Well, maybe she starts speaking, she'll pop up anyway. Hello, I can start speaking. Thank you very much for this. It was it was a lovely poem. Very great. I liked it a lot. I don't have much to add though. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Brian. Uh, I agree. I, I love poetry. I love the the absolute depth of um, content that can be layered in and I just I see those three crooked things and then it lists three crooked things and then there's an immediate tie to the three defilements right um and the 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 reference to just being a reference point right regardless if the three things are still here it's just my my understanding with right view of, of what that actually is or, or isn't so um, you know, a handful of lines and, and conveys such depth, which is just amazing to me. So thank you, Matt. It's good seeing you. Thanks, Brian. Julia. Can't, can't hear you if you're talking. Barely. I'm, I'm using my dad's computer Check check your setting, Julie, on your computer. I hear you, but just like a whisper. Check your volume. 
My mic setting and Zoom. Forbid. Now, do we have her muted here? Check the checker on that. There's a little sound, right? I can hear you. It's still really quiet. Maybe just blast your volume. For me. If you hit the um, up arrow next to your microphone, Julia, there's an audio setting down at the bottom of that. Um, you might be able to turn the volume of the microphone up in there. There should be like a slider. You could try that. That's my technical help for this evening. I've got nothing else. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> We'll come back to you, Julia. Don't worry. Jane, how are you doing out there? I'm hanging in. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I couldn't get on my with using my iPad. I don't know what's going on. Anyway. Um, I'm still fighting a cold, so I'm just going to say a few words. Right view, um, Jana, and freedom. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. We're, we're all in the theme of poetry tonight. I like There that. you go. Hey, there you uh, go. Okay. A haiku in your case. Will you Thank open you. up the, um, is the participant settings and unmute Julia there? Um, you want to do that? Yeah, hold on a sec. Julie is not muted. Um, okay, she just got unmuted. See if it, see if it'll, if she you can hear. Say, say something now, Jules. Hello. Okay, that's I can hear you better now. Okay. Still, still pretty quiet. <laughs> All right, well, we'll have to figure something out. Yeah. Um, Julia, why don't you try logging off and logging back in? Sometimes that'll fix a problem like that. And just holler when you get back in. Okay. Ron? <sighs> Yeah, these, these three things, in both cases, they're, they're implements of their livelihoods, <clears throat> you know, um, him being a farmer and uh, her being just a householder or just a householder, it's a hard enough job. Um, But they both come to the understanding that it's their attachment to, to their identification with, with that is what's holding them back. I'm just a farmer mm -hmm. or I'm just a housewife. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
yeah, a, a limiting so it's, view. It's, it's, it's very basic stuff in life that they're, they're both pointing at. It's not, you know, they realized there wasn't, there wasn't anything big going on. They were just stuck in this idea that I am, I am this person. Yeah, and the drudgery of maintaining that view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but also not, you know, in, in that life before they met the Buddha, it just, they were unhappy, but they couldn't, they couldn't find a way out. You know, they may have still been, well, they, they were probably, they, they, they went forth. Um, but it's, um, they're hitting on such basic stuff. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not, neither one of these are scholars, you know, or, yeah. or, or you know, experienced, you know, and they, they haven't gone around and done all these things. They just were there in their, in their drudgery and realized what, <clears throat> finally realized what that misery was all about. Yeah, and that in a very literal way, just going forth and entering a monastic life they gave up those things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're free of that because they entered a monastic life, but that's not really. They, they still were stuck in that, right. that idea that well, you know, now I'm a, I used to be a farmer, now, now I'm, I'm a beaker. Right. Yeah, they're free of that, they're free of those, all that self-identification. Mm -hmm. right, in in Jhana, that, that's where they, they really found that freedom yeah. from, from both identifications. Yeah, it's interesting to see how um, you know you talk about uh, wanting you know wanting more and less. Um, I'm starting to see that it's just the sh the, the sheer it just the wanting itself. Mm. You know, <clears throat> a lot of lives are lived only by wanting. Yeah, that's that's all that's going on. That's that's the only thing that seems to be important is like, I want things. Want Isn't stuff. that I a tool of our bondage? You know, that, there's there's the the actual tool of our bondage. It's just the wanting. Yeah. Whether you want less or more, and that doesn't matter. Mm. It's it's the actual act of wanting, mm. and and the act of wanting is not being contented. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's where that last genre comes in. Yeah. Just be pleasant to the mind. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. John. Thank you, Matt. I, I, uh, I crave for less good Dhamma teachers around here. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that was, that was really outstanding. The short suttas that you really you brought out all that was in it, um, that touching on what Ron began there. What he was talking about is the second noble truth. You know, they, they, the, the son and the mom recognize just the dukkha of being in the world. And something else that I get out of this is they're also describing themselves as very ordinary people, as opposed to Anatha um, Pandita's life, being business people or intellectuals, which I see today. Most people I have the most difficulty are the ones that see themselves and hold themselves as intellectuals and mm -hmm. uh, rather than 
ordinary run-of-the-mill people that you know they don't have that that other layer of uh, eye matrix that my intellect itself is is all that I need, mm. you know, uh, because then you're really stuck in that. And it's just a it, it's a just a basic um, direct teaching on Dujan and develop the rest of the Dhamma, and you can leave all this stuff behind. And it's also important to remember the setting that both of these kids they were both members of the Sangha and had uh, first disentangled from the, themselves from the world physically and through their jhana practice now uh, I don't say isolated but uh, <coughs> set apart from the world except when they went for their alms rounds it was much easier for them but so we also have to remember that many people that weren't uh, hey Bela um, yeah, so, you know, we could take the metaphor for what it is, that the, the tools are just the, the being entangled in the world. And so that simply gets us back to jhana meditation. And the entanglements don't matter. Everybody, you know, we assume because of the second level truth that we're doing this because we're entangled. Yeah. So we don't really have to go much past that except recognizing. And there's that pleasant abiding. Recognizing I don't have to be involved in the world or attached to people or places or things or outcomes. Or the tools that I use to define myself. I once walked into an AA meeting and somebody who I knew he said, you know, you don't look like a contractor because I was a contractor, but I didn't dress like him. He he was a contractor who did. He felt like everybody should look like him, you know, wearing jean pants with a hammer holder on it, etc. <laughs> but I wasn't working, I was in an AA meeting, so I dressed for that. But again, people putting on your identity, you should you should be more stuck in it. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're just doing the Dhamma, we free all that stuff, whether we're carrying it around in a truck or not. It's not us. Great teaching. Thank you, John. Brett. Uh, thank you for your teaching. <clears throat> Good to be here. Um, I, I just get um, just coming back to John meditation and just um, <clears throat> kind of pulling yourself. Up. You know, it's the entanglements, and I guess all those tools, calls that, uh, that are working with, it's attachments to the world or how they do their self. And so it's just Dhamma practice. That's what I'm getting out of it, and returning to Dhamma meditation. And uh, everybody's touching on it. Um, and it's just, it's just, I think it's as simple as, you know, just recognizing it, coming back to your breath, and not being attached to the outcome. I could go on and on and on with examples, but I think everybody's kind of hit on it. You know, that last part, right, not being attached to the outcomes, where the rest of the whole path comes in. Yeah, instead of just John meditation, you can develop right view through the entire path. Whatever you focus on, Thanks. Bridge, nice to see you. Yeah. It was so uh, fortunate 
Assumptions are the system that we create that are rooted in ignorance. Um, have you ever read anything by Joseph Schumpeter, with an Austrian economist from the early 1900s? That the early, yeah, the early 1900s. Read it. It's hard to find, but go. You probably have to read like PDFs, but they're out there. He he was this brilliant um, Austrian economist that everybody followed back then. He, in fact, it was the people that followed were called the Schumpeters. Um, not haters, some haters. And he predicted exactly what's occurring today. Exactly. Oh, I think this is ringing a little bit. Yeah. You're reading Joseph Schumpeter? And, no, no, and no I think it's ringing a bell a little bit. Like maybe I came across something. Yeah, he, he's somebody, they, every, every economy in the world is based on Joseph Schumpeter today, but nobody will admit it because of one of his conclusions today, he predicted exactly what was going to happen. That this was going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, each and every economy in the country he predicted that accurately because of, and I know it's not a flaw in the system. The system had to evolve this way. Yeah. And he also wrote, there's a way to pull ourselves out. But excuse me for bringing in that. <laughs> That's okay. It's really you got to read Joseph Trump. At least for, you know, honest weeks. Um, yeah. But, so, <laughs> So as this week was kind of going by and I was kind of like laughing to myself, I was thinking like, oh, this model is, a, you know, a metaphor, you know, for Dhamma practice, because these days it feels like so much is. And then I was, I was going through my life, my real life, <laughs> and I was, you know, doing like we do, getting frustrated, you know, engaging in long speech in my mind or, you know, doing different things. 
I was able to apply some gentleness I had been struggling to find. And I was connecting that when you were talking about the tools. I was picturing the pestle, you know, mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm going to grind up this really negative thought. I'm going to really be into it, you know? I'm going to plow in my mind over and over again that same track that, you know, that field of negative clinging and all these things. And I was just like, I don't know, I can just like see it. And I feel like this poetry just makes it so easy to kind of have a little sound bite in your mind. And it also kind of gives you, I think, maybe some support for that gentleness when you're having a hard time finding it, mm -hmm. knowing that it's so calm that these tools are something that everybody is using and you're not special that way either. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Brady. Julia, are you there? Hey, can All you hear right. me? Gotcha. Sorry, I had some uh, technical difficulties. I'm at my dad's and he doesn't know his Wi-Fi password. So I tried to use his computer and yeah, it's it's a little old. So, <laughs> so I. <laughs> uh, so I, I went on my phone instead. Um, thank you for the teaching. Um, I just found out what rapture meant. I've heard it a few times, but I just looked it up. Um, I kind of lost what I was going to say, but, um, what, what did you find with rapture? What does it mean? Intense, intense pleasure or joy. Yeah. We use it to, to reflect joyful engagement with meaning joyful engagement with it. Okay. Can you explain a little bit, please? Well, no, I just want to make sure that it, the, the, the word intense is, I mean, that's just what you got out of the dictionary. So that's, you could say it's an accurate description, but it's not the way we would apply it because it, it has a connotation of harshness and not gentleness. So, you know, mm. rapture uh, to mean joyful engagement with the Dhamma. So we are enraptured with it. Okay. Yeah, then the intense thing was, yeah, okay, I see. That's intense is not gentle. So there, I okay. In that way, so that that came out of the the description of the second jhana, which second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure born of concentration. We can completely eliminate the word rapture at all. It, it has no real value other than to describe pleasure born of concentration. So we could just say the second jhana is experienced as pleasure born of concentration. Okay. So um, the, the third jhana is the fading of that pleasure born of concentration. There's that we, we remain equanimous, mindful, alert, sensitive to pleasure. With that fading, the pleasant abiding that remains permeates the body and mind. So rapture isn't particularly important with regard to jhana. Okay. Um, I'm gonna argue that. I think those that's sort of a it's sort of a hackneyed kind of term that came from the translation. It's not really it's 
I don't know. I think it's flowery and, and superfluous. Um, but okay. It, I'll, I'll, it's I'll okay. It was, it was, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I still do. I think it, and I put it in there for a reason um, because many texts refer to rapture, but in the wrong connotation. So and I think we explain it pretty well that rapture means joyful engagement. As we're using I, I, I agree. So I we, think... could, we could leave it out. But one of the reasons why I leave words like that in is to maintain relevance to other people that are reading a lot of other stuff out there. And so these are things that they can, that are, might be common in, it, in, almost, in almost every English translation. Mm -hmm. So those, those are the words that I leave in just for that reason. And also so that we can explain it uh, as needed that this is, and I think in the commentary, in every commentary I go through with John, and it's in there, the, the description of it just means joyful engagement. Yes. But despite that, almost each time we get into this. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, well, I don't, I, I think the only, I, I've never gotten into a discussion about it. I think I've just said no, it's what a, it is. It's a similar, it's a similar go around about it. And when, when did we ever talk about it? I don't want to get into an argument. When did we ever talk about it? I each, think we, each we time, just yeah. describe it. Again, if each time, the word rapture comes up. You have to explain it, and then you have to double explain it. And I never, I don't remember ever explaining it except to say that it means joyful engagement, and people understand. Yeah, I, I think, I think it, I think we've we've covered it as joyful engagement. Okay. Um, anything else <laughs> on that? Um. Not, I did have some things on my mind. I'm, uh, so does that kind of mean like we should have joyful engagement with life in general? In the context of the Dhamma, in the context of developing the Eightfold Path, in the context of developing the Seven Factors of Awakening. We should joyfully engage with our practice. Which allows us to joyfully engage with life? Yes. Okay. Because our life is framed by the Eightfold Path. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Thank Julie. Neil? All right. Um, uh, I'll just say something. Um, I guess it relates to it. I mean, as far as tools of, I'm saying tools of uh, bondage. bondage. Yeah, like wanting. So I, I, I would contextualize what I'm about to say. So like, when I first started meditating, all I was doing was mindfulness of breathing and it took a long you know a long time meaning like doing it almost every day for like a year or something before I started to even be able to find my breath and that's how distracted my mind was and I remember like when I started to really be able to sit with my breath this like it was kind of intense pleasure that I felt sorry to use that word intense but uh no one would be controversial <laughs> <laughs> but it was so pleasurable and then 
I met someone who became kind of a, a mentor and teacher, and then I like went into this whole tradition of Tibetan uh, Buddhism that didn't really emphasize that for they, they did other things for concentration, but not the breath. Anyway, uh, as I've been doing mindfulness of breathing for the past couple of years, and now coming here and really thinking about all of the facets of the Eightfold Path and everything, I've noticed I'm having a really freaking hard time getting with my breath for very long. Mm -hmm. And in this practice tonight, I, I, I'm having these little moments of noticing this, these little details that are happening in my perception or my mind. Or my, and what I noticed was I was not, I was grasping after the breath and the pleasure that comes from being able to ride the breath. Mm -hmm. And at the moment that I realized, oh, in the very thing that I'm trying to do, I'm grasping yeah. after it, mm -hmm. uh, it kind of fell away. And, and for the last five, I was finally kind of somewhat steadily with the breath. Yeah. So that was, that was cool. That's really good. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's some persevering effort and gentleness that had to happen in order for you to stay with it long enough to see that that was just another strategy that you got caught up in. Yeah. Well, this is the description of the third time. Yeah. Yeah. Better than pain following. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for pleasure everywhere. Totally. <laughs> That's, this is the tools of our bondage. Yeah, right. You know? We're That's constantly, constantly yeah. looking for that, yeah. constantly defining ourselves through that, constantly trying to get what we want and never get what we don't want. Right. You know? And in that way, I can be happy, be have an identity of a meditator or a Buddhist or whatever. It's like, that's the operating system we're dealing with. Totally. So you try to do a noble, you know, effort and practice that operating system is still kind of overriding yeah. the effort. Yep. Yeah. And so again, it takes <laughs> persevering effort, honesty and gentleness to cut through that. Maintain the path of practice that Uncle Sid was telling us about mm -hmm. you know, and taught us. So, really good. Really cool. Thank you. Can I mention something? Definitely, yes. That was great. Um, what was just said, all of that. Um, I'm. It, it, I realized also something about myself, which I've, I kind of knew, but you know, today felt it really heavy. If I, hmm, how do I explain this? <clears throat> so I can be patient in traffic and I can be patient with, you know, daily things, but if I'm feeling this, intense emotion at some point of clinging, clinging, just clinging to a person or clinging to 
this need that it feels like my needs are above everybody else's and and then and and that no one hmm, and that I'm not you know I have moments where I think my needs are more important than other people's needs right um and I'm not, so that means that I'm not really thinking about what the other person's feeling or needing. Cause I'm just caught up in my needs. And it's so, I feel like it's so intense in my body and, and, um, I'm, oh, how do I say this? That I'm you, I guess like, if I don't get, I'm not patient like if I, if I'm recognizing that I'm needing something, um, that I think that someone else can fulfill, which is not true or some outside thing that can fulfill this need of mine. Um, I hope I'm making sense. I'm trying to put this in. Um, I'm very, I, I noticed that I can be very impatient and it's very painful when I'm not getting, when I think that these outside things, a person or a thing can fulfill my need, it's very painful when I'm not getting that outside thing. Uh, but really that doesn't solve anything. It's just a temporary, it's a temporary, uh, I'm not fixed, but like, I'm thinking that this outside thing is going to solve it. So I'm, I'm deeply grasping after it. And when I'm not getting it, when I want it, uh, it's, I just want to cry. I just want to cry. Like, I don't yeah. even know. I just, I just get pissed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite line, Matt? But really, I get it. And I get the outside thing eventually. Yeah. Oh, what did you say, Julia? I get like the, out, I can eventually get the outside thing. And then I don't value it anymore. And then, then, then it's the next thing. And then it's the next thing. And I'm not valuing anything that I'm getting. So it's like the longer that I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting patiently, then I'm more, more likely to value that value it. But I have a hard time sometimes just the quicker I get it, the less I value it. <laughs> right. Because it's never enough. It's crazy. This is Duca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hard know, to explain. No, no, no. That we were following you. That, and that's that's the thing, is that if I'm the bondage is I'm totally caught up in the samsara of needing to get what I want when I want it or not get what I want when I don't want it. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing. And, and that it's, that's dukkha, that's, that's stressful. That's stressful. And yeah. it's not, you know, we, we can't, we, if we're developing the Dhamma, the way that the Buddha taught the Dhamma, We're getting insight into where in our speech, where in our mindfulness, where in our actions, those things are coming up. 
And all of it that we're discussing is rooted in the second normal truth of craving. It's you know, craving. I use the term want. Yeah. I think Neil said desire. Yeah. But it's all that second noble truth. It's yes. craving for and clinging to the views that we've established that are all rooted in ignorance. Yeah. All of them are dukkha. All of them are disappointing. Yeah. Uh, all of them are distracting. So we, we recognize it all. It's just this one thing. And in these two simple poems, you let it go. Yeah. The, the pestle, the, you know, the shovel, it's just all stuff to put down. Take a breath. And so is wow. Is patience waiting to get what you want? Is that what patience is? No. <laughs> no. I mean, when you say it like that. You don't have to answer that. No. no. <laughs> the Dhamma doesn't require patience. Right. Ignorance requires patience. Right. Knowing there's no mm. and when you understand, what will you be impatient about? Oh wait, so <laughs> then it. Going conversation or yes. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. Julia. Thanks, guy. David, <laughs> you hear a lot of examples. Neil touched on it and Julia did and these glimpses of right view, glimpses of that insight and these arhans. I see it especially with the nuns by the, the poems by the nuns that these arhans are giving you snapshots of what their lives were. They're and it's almost always around the three marks of existence. Mm -hmm. Each and every one of them. Mm -hmm. Mourning the loss of their beauty. Being in bondage to a bad marriage or their lot in life. And almost always it resolves itself in jhana meditation and their practice. And these glimpses that Julia and Neil had, I see as that, that brief insight to those things, and then it goes away. Mm -hmm. And it just, to me, drives it further into wanting to develop the practice. And that's what these nuns and monks are showing that the freedom that they have gained by that, that practice. So. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Um, so we'll finish as we always do with Meta. These are the Buddha's words from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, 
unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing the wise would later approve. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. <coughs> Let none deceive another or wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.